think we need to physically be together in each other's space. You know, I, I think between capitalism, between life, between policing, between all these things, it's easy for us to both physically and culturally, emotionally, socially, spatially be like separate. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when we're in each other's presence, when we're in each other's um, space, mm -hmm. we can see each other literally, but then we can also experience each other differently. We can love each other differently. We can be good to each other in a different way. Um, we can trust each other. We can feel safe around each other. These are the factors, these are the things that are necessary, I think, for us to, to, to grow together, right? Is to actually start building in community together. episode i got the chance to sit down with philly native activist scholar tv personality professor and owner of uncle bobby's dr mark lamont hill we sat down to discuss his acknowledgement of self-exploration his journey towards his blackness and maleness how his new book seen and unseen technology social media and the fight for racial justice explores how the power of visual media over the last few years has shifted the narrative on race and reignited the push towards justice. We unpack the importance of the village, what it means for black youth to hear that they're more than enough, why therapy is important for black men and the black community, and ultimately, what it means for black men to actually engage with one another on all levels. Enjoy. going on everybody welcome to the middle brother podcast i want to thank you all for joining we have a special guest today my name is octavius blount also known as the urban thinker and we have a owner of uncle bobby's we have philly native we also have scholar professor and author good brother if you can introduce yourself please do i am mark lamont hill uh you you named all my jobs most of my jobs so I, that that part is done, but I'm uh, I'm happy to be here, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of um, of a community of of people um, that are being led now by you, uh, working on behalf of Black men, working in the interests of Black men, and, and the Black community more broadly, man. So I'm 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 excited to be here with you. Thank you. I appreciate you for joining, because I know a lot of brothers um, in your space in your world that are very busy are not able to join certain spaces and. They get stretched in. So I appreciate Ooh. you for taking the time and allowing me to enjoy this conversation with oh, you. For sure, for sure. So the first question I got for you is, um, what's one thing you love about being a black man? Mm. What is one thing I love about being a black man? I love that question, and I don't think I've, um, I've ever been asked it before. Um, you know, there's a way that the media talks about, you know, black on black crime and violence and hyper masculinity. And those are all real um, conversations that we have to have. 
can have them in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. But at the core, there's some unhealthy stuff going on with black men. And sometimes those conversations drown out the beauty and joy that I find when I'm walking down the street and I see a brother, like I did this morning on my way to, uh, on my way to where I'm at right now, I, I, I saw a brother, he was with his family. I think it looked like he was with his girl or his, it didn't look like his wife. His energy didn't seem that way. And he seemed mm-hmm. like he was meeting a family for the first time. That was the vibe it was yeah. And he was talking to them, doing his thing. And I was just walking toward my car and he just like stopped what he was doing and was like, yo, what's up, bro? Mm-hmm. And I needed that this morning for whatever reason. I don't know why. I didn't know I needed it till he gave it, and um, it was it was pretty powerful. Um, and those types of connections are hard to explain to people. I didn't know him. He didn't have to stop what he was doing. It would have been totally reasonable for him to to keep tending to his his, his situation. But when I'm walking down the street and, and a brother nods or says what's up, or we look out for each other. Or if we're in a space where there's, you know, only two of us, um, there's a way that um, we make sure each other um, is acknowledged. There's a beauty in that. Um, there's a joy I find in that. And um, the, there's a love, fundamentally, that black men have for each other. Mm-hmm. And a care and a respect that even when the world doesn't see it, we know it's there and we honor it. Yeah. I appreciate you for saying love because... That's one thing that we miss and forget as black men is that we can be loved and we can also show love to each other. Yes. Um, so I, I, I greatly appreciate you for saying love, care and understanding as well, because I would add in that that piece, because we do have to understand each other in order to love each other. Yes, absolutely. And and you can't understand each other if you don't engage each other. Mm-hmm. That's what makes this podcast so important. That's what makes um, black male groups, mm-hmm. black male activities, black male clubs, black, you know, mm-hmm. we, we got to have space to, to know each other better and to build on that fundamental love that's there. Yeah. And um, again, the work you do helps to create that, both what you do in your formal, you know, nine to five, but also the, the spaces you create at high schools, the spaces you create outside of school for, for black males to understand themselves Mm-hmm. and to understand each other. And, and, and I think that, that there's a relationship between those two things, right? Because when I begin to understand myself better, when I understand what makes me tick and, and what makes me fall short, when I understand my shortcomings and my pains and my traumas and my insecurities, um, it helps me be more generous in my reading of other people. Yeah. yeah. I think um, just being in that space of just engaging and understanding one another um, the space that I create for black men on this podcast is called In the Den. Mm-hmm. And for In the Den, it's, it's um, discovery, exploration, and navigation. So the first question I have for you is, when did you discover your blackness? Or when did you discover that you were a black man? I discovered my both my blackness and my maleness. Uh, first grade, second, first, second grade. First grade. Okay. I, I I remember distinctly second grade, but mm-hmm. I, I think it happened in first grade. And I, I, I'll explain. I, I was bused um, to a uh, school in the northeast section of Philadelphia. I'm, I'm, you know, I was living in North Philadelphia and in Hunting Park, and we were moving to um, – um, we weren't moving. We were trying to 
get me a different kind of education. And so my parents decided, and my father was working up in the Northeast, so it made mm-hmm. sense for me to be one of the bus kids. Now, initially, I don't think I got on the school bus right away. I actually did something different. I actually got uh, driven up there because uh, my, my dad was working up there, but we were still called bus kids. Mm-hmm. And bus kids was a, was a marker, not just of how we traveled, because I was a bus yeah. kid even before I got on the bus. Yeah. It, it was a mark of race and class. Um, and ironically, this was, the, this was like Mayfair section of Philadelphia. This was Taconi. This was, you know, the schools I went to up there were working class white institutions. So they didn't necessarily have more money than us, but our blackness yeah. became a stand-in for poverty. So they saw us as black, the only black kids in the school. So they assumed we were the poorest. Some mm-hmm. of us were. But a whole bunch of us were just like the white kids, which was like our parents worked nine to fives, didn't go to college, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, mine did. So I actually, in some ways, was um, had a little more resources. Mm-hmm. But being up there, they made it very clear you weren't them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were ways that it was implicit that I didn't really understand until I got much older. Like what it meant to be called a bus kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understood it in the moment when people would say nigger. <laughs> you know, that yeah. that was the that was the explicit part. Yeah. Uh I remember a teacher, I was walking out the hallway in second grade, it was pretzel day, that's why I remember it. <laughs> and if anybody watching from Philly, you know, pretzel day was a thing. And I remember just this teacher was t- looked at me, and I, I, don't, I guess my mouth was open for some reason. I don't remember. But I just remember saying, why do you people always have your mouths open? And I didn't even understand what it meant. Mm-hmm. But when he said, you people, I, I remember being confused about who the, the you or the we was in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I quickly, it was quickly made clear to me. I remember being... so. That was in second grade, but I, I, I doubt that I wasn't called a bus kid in first grade. I just don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember toward the end of my time in second grade, maybe even third grade, you know, getting pushed in the bushes by these much older kids. Um, I can't remember if they called me a nigger. And when they pushed me, they I was certainly mm-hmm. both happened. I just don't remember if they were the same time. Yeah. I remember getting pushed. But I wasn't hurt or anything like that. I just remember it again feeling like, yo, why am I being treated this way? But, mm-hmm. but it was very clear to me at that moment that I was different. Yeah. When I was at, you know, Zion Daycare, or when I was in, I, did, I went to kindergarten at Zion Baptist Church at Broad okay. in Ontario. Not mm-hmm. Ontario, Broad in, uh, at um, Penango. And uh, I never thought about being black. Yeah. You know, everybody was black. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sang Lift Every Voice and Sing at the, you know what I'm saying, at the graduation. And at all of our events, actually. So I, I, but I didn't know that that was different. So I went someplace that didn't do that. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it was just. Um, I don't want to take too long on this question, but it, it, it's. Are no, you good? It's 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 it, it was just a, a really interesting time. Um, I remember after school, I would be at the Baldwin's house. Baldwin's okay. were um, 
she Mrs. Baldwin was a um, an aide at the school for a little bit, and she knew my dad somehow. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "I'm gonna drive you home, but like I need you to stay somewhere till I'm done working. So just stay stay with the Baldwins." Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd be at the Baldwin's house after school, and that was the other place where it was. Like, and the Baldwins were super kind to me, super sweet people. I, um, I check in on them sometimes now. Mr. Baldwin died, but Ms. Baldwin's still around, and, and his kids are like my age. But what I remember was, you know, again, like what we did after school was different. The games we mm-hmm. played, the food we ate, the TV shows we watched. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're different. Yeah. Now, the challenge, yeah. you know, when you recognize your difference mm-hmm. is that. You also have to recognize um, that different doesn't mean worse. Different doesn't mean better. You know, Malefia Asante mm-hmm. talks about pluralism without hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And in a white supremacist world, you got to be real careful. You got to work super hard to make sure mm-hmm. that your pluralism doesn't equal hierarchy. In other words, yeah. I, you got to work hard to make sure your kids don't think that because they don't do it this way, like white people, that something's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And white people have to learn that just because that's how a lot of people do it doesn't mean that um, that it's the only way or the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was part of my navigation of childhood, honestly. Okay. I, I can agree with that when you're talking about um, when you were different um, because it gets to a point where um, from middle school to high school, it was like almost everybody was a family for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, you know, you had a lot of other people from Roxborough. You had people from different places oh, that didn't right. have seen. Right, black you went men. to a very particular type of high school, so you had yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So like, from middle school, elementary school to high school, totally changed. Mm. And then at Arcadia, it wasn't the students; it was the professors now that kind of looked at you as different. Mm. Um, I never told you this, but it was a professor at Arcadia that, um, that's this one I felt different and where like just my emotion just came out was when she said, did you write your paper? Mm. <laughs> and um, I said, my mother's a teacher. Um, I have an English teacher that I've been with that knows my writing since I've been in middle school. Um, and she said, so did they write it for you? I said, no, I wrote every 20 pages of this, of this paper. They just edited. Um, and then she wanted me to sign a pink slip. Yeah. Um, I didn't tell you because, you know, I didn't want you coming up there. I like, would have been up there. This is, I know. <laughs> and it's like, um, but my mom went up there. So mm. you know how that went. Yeah, I was about to say, you did better um, with me. <laughs> yeah. That, that teacher was gone by the time, you know, I graduated. Before I even graduated, she was gone. Um, because in, in that moment, I was the only black man in that classroom. And what was she? What did she want you to? What, what, she said I plagiarized my paper. And she had no evidence of it. She said, "Oh, this line, just one sentence, was not sourced." And I read it, and I said, "Do you want me to tell you what that source is?" In my reference page, she was like, "I mean, if you can find it," I said, "It's on page five. Wow. Without even looking at it, I said it's on page five. I said I know where I put it at, and she still wanted me to sign a pink slip. And that that in that moment, it was a lot of emotions that I felt. Um, and you ex- also expressed some emotions, too. Um, so that's the, the space that we're going to lead into is 
um, how do you explore your feelings? Because as black men, there are moments like you expressed and moments that I've expressed that we're not able to either hone in on those emotions and figure out why those just happen. So how do you explore your feelings? Um, how do I explore my feelings? I mean, the best way that I do it now is therapy. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I meet with my therapist and, and he asks good questions. Um, and I've been going to therapy long enough that um, I, I I anticipate what the question is going to be. And so I begin mm-hmm. to unpack stuff even without prompting. Okay. Um, at my best, you know, at my worst, I hold the shit in and don't deal with it. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not some ideal perfected state of yeah. like self-reflection. It's just more, that's a space for me to do it. Um, in my relationship, um, mm-hmm. I've learned to be um, more vocal, more articulate mm-hmm. about what I need, what I feel, okay. what I want, mm-hmm. um, what I don't want. Yeah. Um, I think parenting um, has been a space that has forced me to be reflective and, 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 to, and to manage this stuff. Okay. Um, but when I'm really trying to figure out the feeling itself, when I'm trying to get to the source of it, I, I think, you know, talking it through with, with, with my partner, talking it through with friends is important. Mm-hmm. But for me, therapy is, is, is key. Therapy mm-hmm. is key. Okay. So I think that's one thing that black men do. Um, just the black community in general may forget that therapy is a good thing. Oh my God! Because it allows you to open up about things that you've never thought, and also put some theory and foundation and everything else towards um, just the space of what you're feeling. Um, I've always had the the thought process of yes, me having an MSW, I can sit here and say, well, I know all the questions that they may ask, but do you know why that question is being asked and when it's asked when you're talking? Mm. And that's the main thing that we forget and we don't know about because everything that happens in the house stays in the house right, right, right. And i think that um just that thought process and that myth of don't let this come outside the house kind of has black men black people just hold everything in and then we explode at some point and there's a lot of things that can happen when you explode so at true. some point so true if you're not having um if you're not bringing in money the way you should as the you know the quote-unquote man of the house you're going to blow up at some point and something may happen i think that one of the lessons that I've learned most profoundly um, in the last 10 years, probably the last mm-hmm. 20, but certainly in the last 10, is how much more stable I am emotionally. Okay. How shorter the gap is. Not even the gap. How much more stable emotionally I am when I'm reflective about what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned over the last that, that the more I share what I'm feeling, the more I deal with it, the 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 longer the gap is between blowups, mm-hmm. and the less need there is for a blow up, and yeah. any kind of emotional outburst, any uh, feeling of anger, frustration, whatever, is much more manageable mm-hmm. when I've dealt with it, when I've when I've stared it, kind of stared it down a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and and I feel so much better about myself. Okay. So I know I gave you 
um, all the titles in the world. I know I probably missed some, <laughs> <laughs> but I know um, I know you're a brother from Morehouse. Yes. Um, so in that space of Morehouse into where you are now, um, I know you talked about um, your father um, and how of a staple he was in your life. Yeah. As a black man, how did you navigate this world and how did you get to where you are right now? Not saying you did this, you did that, but just as a black man, how did you navigate this world so successfully? Um, it's an interesting question. You know, I, I think about success and I think about failure. You know, I mm-hmm. think part of how I've been able to navigate this world is by navigating the failures mm-hmm. in, in, in better ways, in richer, more profound ways, um, healthier ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I dropped out of Morehouse. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to figure out how to get back up, dust myself off, end up at Temple, end up at Penn, end up all these other places. But mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to deal with the failures. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had to deal with the losses. I had to deal with lots of hurt, heartbreak, pain, things mm-hmm. like that. Like everybody does. It's just yeah. fundamentally human shit. Like this isn't anything particular to me. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that might be particular is my way of responding. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was community. The village you know i had people okay. who i could lean on i could lean on my parents i could lean on my brother mm-hmm. our brothers excuse me i could lean on my sister i could lean on um people who loved me yeah um, i could lean on people who loved me enough to tell me when i was messing up um mm-hmm. that was a gift a gift mm-hmm. i didn't fully appreciate in the moment at the time but that um but that ultimately made my life different yeah um i have a certain amount of discipline um, mm-hmm. that i think helps me navigate things too mm-hmm. um I have a certain amount of uh, patience. Yeah. Um, I have interpersonal patience. I have patience with, it's part of how I end up blowing up or getting frustrated at times if I don't, because I don't communicate what my needs are. Mm-hmm. But there's another way that that patience plays out, whether it's waiting for something to come around, whether it's waiting for an opportunity, whether it's um, attending to people, or whether it's having a goal. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. able. One thing I'm able to do really well is strategize. I'm able to plan and strategize my life. I'm able to plan and strategize goals, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it's time to build things, um, the building of those things um, requires a level of discipline and patience. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe um, that I would be as successful in the ways that I've been successful if I didn't have a, if I didn't have that patience mm-hmm. and that, and sometimes vision. I, I, I think I, I, there, I, I, there are people who are much better at executing things than me, much better. Okay. You know, okay. I, I could think of 15 great book ideas, you know, can I get them done? Maybe not. There are other people who can execute 15 books and they may not be that good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The key is to balance those two things. Yeah. Um. I, but I do think the, the, the part of what my success is that I'm able to see things before they happen. 
mm-hmm. um, and imagine possibilities yeah. um, before they happen. And I think that's made me pretty successful. Um, um, also, in general, not always, but in general, yeah. the things that I've been successful at are born out of love. You know, I yeah. love to read and write. So be, having mm-hmm. a career as a scholar is not um, far outside the realm of love and joy. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm doing what I love. Uncle Bobby's has been successful. Yep. Got a lot of help. Got a lot of support. A lot of love from Got people. Got a hoodie on right now. I, and I love it, man. People too. Read more, talk less. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. And yeah. but the thing is, that was an act of love. I didn't. I didn't open Uncle Bobby's to get rich. Yeah. And, I hear you. And so, the fact that it does well is great. But that that wasn't mm-hmm. that wasn't why I chose this. Mm-hmm. And so the love that comes from it yeah is directly related to the love that went into it yeah and so i think that's been part of the success of that you know i've taken up taken on things that that are born out of love i mean sometimes i gotta pay a bill sometimes i gotta do some things yes you, yeah. you know <laughs> but even that goes but i remember i remember and i don't talk about stuff but i remember getting uh a, a show on vh1 and people were like why would you take that show and I, I, to be honest the show didn't pan out the way I thought it would in terms of what my vision for the show was. What they said the show was going to be was not what the show became. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the challenge. But every dollar of that show went into building Uncle Bobby's. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, even when I had to make some choices that I maybe wouldn't have made in retrospect, I think some value came out of them because there was a commitment to doing certain things. So I think that that also plays out a lot. In, in terms of my success. Okay. Um, I do want to say um, in this space of building um, this platform for myself and other black men, um, through this whole podcast, we, we talk about and engage you. Um, other brothers is because I created an E4 model where you engage, express, empower, and elevate. Mm. I mainly do that. Um, and I just put it all together and created this model, this theory, this workshop training but there's also a, a understanding of I have to create and see a vision for my Black Mount Rushmore. Um, and when I say, how do I navigate? That's what I think of. And it's you. I put you up there. Mm. Um, my Uncle Mace, my Uncle Tiger, Papa, um, and Mr. Colger. Mm. So th- those are my five. I know they, I know it's four, but I, these five black men, um, y'all are very instrumental in my life because... You as a scholar, I mean, you can see the books behind me. Your books are right here. Like, mm. and I read them, mm. and I read them for a reason because one, it's you. Two, it's also because I know that you're gonna put out a book that you really care about, and that really causes a message to be heard. Um, for my uncle Tiger, he was the first person, first black man to say "I love you," mm. like to my face, and meant it. Wow. Um, for Mr. Colger, you know he's a gentleman, so yeah. I <laughs> I learned all the gentleman stuff from him. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and you got my uh, my pop up from my daycare provider. That's the first black love that I've seen, um, as far as older couples. Mm. And then I have my uncle Mace. Um, he has a lot of pride in our last name, so that's where I get my pride from when it comes to being Octavius, the son of Octavia, but also soon to be husband of Rosalind. Yeah. And my last name, she's going to take that last name because that's what she told me. I said, look, what you want to do? She said, I'm going to take your last name. Oh, wow. 
And as a, for me, as a man, it's like, okay, my name means something to somebody. And to navigate this space, I navigate it very carefully <laughs> when it comes to going outside, when it comes to being able to get back home, and also how you interact with other brothers. So when I say navigate this world, yeah, we all navigate this world successfully, but at some point there are roadblocks. Always. <laughs> Always roadblocks. And um I know I know like I gave you a lot of titles, like I said before, but the next space I got for you is who you repping. Mm. And it's called um representation, expectations, and perception. So how do you represent your identities the way that I know you probably don't wear masks because I know you're probably yourself throughout every space that you're in. But as a father, um, a scholar, professor, and all the titles that you have, how do you bring them together or do you do those separately when you're in certain spaces? You know, I, I think we bring um, all these parts of ourselves to everything that we do. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we... Um, we don't turn off like I don't turn off my scholar identity when I'm watching a movie. In fact, sometimes yeah. it makes it harder to watch the movie. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you never stop being a father. You never stop being, you know, an activist. You never stop being these things. These sensibilities certainly come into every part of who I am in terms of titles in that way. Um, but we also bring all these stories and histories and and traumas mm -hmm. and triumphs into every space so yeah um the worst and best parts of me shape how i navigate my relationships how i navigate yeah. my professional work how i navigate you know all of the things that i do mm -hmm. so it's a I, I don't necessarily see them as distinct but i would say that i do have to turn certain parts often or at least down not off but down yeah. a little bit you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah and and because you, you said you know you, you you represent yourself in every place you go i think i do but you know there's always trade-offs there's always yeah you know give and take and i and i think sometimes the 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 professional settings that i operate in are very diverse from mm -hmm. you know operating a bookstore in a black neighborhood to you know working at al jazeera doing international news to yeah hosting daily black news shows to mm -hmm. the basketball wise reunion to a scholarly <laughs> conference on you know what i mean middle eastern studies yeah. you know to you know and so forth and so on and i mean different parts of myself come out at different times but i i think for me it's less about sort of performance in the in the way that in the in the pejorative way that people mean it right it's it's, okay. it's not like i'm pretending to be my, this person there and that person here it's a, these are all parts of me that i enjoy yeah. and there are spaces where i get to be more of this person and less of that person more of this person mm -hmm. and less of that person and, and that for me brings me a lot of joy okay I know you, um, like you said, you bring all your, your identities together at some point, but in this professional space. So what expectations do you have for yourself and how do you overcome those expectations from other people? You know, I, what I expect from myself is excellence. Um, okay. And there are times where you just can't be excellent at every single thing at the exact same time, particularly if you're doing a million yeah. things. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that people expect me to be fully present for them in a way that sometimes doesn't consider my own needs. Okay. And I think that, and, and that comes from being a public figure. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could be out with your family having dinner and somebody wants to tell you the story of something or ask you to explain a concept that you wrote about or, yeah. you know, make a two minute video for their cousin who loves your work. Right. All things that are worthwhile. They're not bad things yeah. to ask in and of themselves, but mm-hmm. I can't be fully present and excellent in the space that you want and still be fully present, excellent in this space that I want. Sometimes we have to make choices. And so I think the, I think the pressure that people put on me is sometimes to do what they think I should be doing. And sometimes it's it's at the interpersonal level, like what I just described, but sometimes at the professional level, why didn't you write a book on this? Mm. Right. Why did you write a book on that? Why didn't you write a book on this? I remember when, when this, I have a new book out called, uh, seen and unseen. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's about technology, social media, and the fight for racial justice. Somebody says to me, why are you writing about this when you could have written about Mumia Abu Jamal? You could have written about um, the pandemic or you could have written about this or that, you know, and they put it on my Facebook page. And, you know, and ironically, I've written about those things. Um, yeah. So they didn't really know my work very well. But beyond that, it was like, but what if I really did just want to write about this thing? Yeah. Why can't that be okay? Mm-hmm. But, but there's a, so, so for them, excellence is measured not by how good it is, but how much it corresponds to what they want me to be doing. Mm-hmm. For me, um, so I have to always be mindful of that because I'm attentive to that. People, I feel bad when people feel like I, when I've let people down. I feel bad when people uh, are disappointed mm-hmm. with what I with my choices because I have a um, a commitment to the people. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I got my own shit about just wanting to be liked. So it's understandable. That's yeah, understandable. It's, it's a human thing, but you know, it's something to be reflective yeah. about. So between those two things. You know, sometimes I end up being shaped and moved by forces that are not necessarily reflective of what I want. Mm-hmm. And I got to be mindful of that and honest about that so that I don't make bad, continue to make bad choices or unhealthy choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I'm hearing when you talk about your expectations and me seeing how you've overcame them through continuing to write books, continuing to write what you want to write, continue to write your narrative and your story and other people's narratives and stories. Um, You've written about a lot of black men, a lot of black men that are in certain situations. Um, And a lot of them are around not being seen as human Mm. from the society's point of view. For sure. Um, So how would you like people to perceive not just self, but other black men just in society in general? I always go back to, um, K.S.A. Lehman's book, Heavy, mm-hmm. one of my favorite books of all time, one of the great memoirs, I think, of this young century. Um, and uh, talks about this idea of good love, healthy choices, and second chances. Mm-hmm. Good love, healthy choices, and second chances. Um, That's what I want people to see black men as deserving. I want all human beings to, to have access to those things. Yeah. And some people don't have access to those things. True. Um, um, but 
I think with black men, and I would not make a different argument for black women. It's just the podcast is about black men. So I want to be clear about that. I, black women deserve yeah. these things very much so. Um, I think there's a narrative and an understanding, a taking for granted assumption that black men don't deserve good love. Yeah. Um, and that good love isn't just about the kind of interpersonal stuff. It's not about the romantic stuff. It's about, it's not just about those things. It's about sort of even being taught that like the body that you occupy and the skin that you have mm -hmm. that how you show up in the world naturally whatever that is mm -hmm. is um is enough yeah that's enough um without that it's hard man mm -hmm. um and so so i look at black boys that are immediately kind of thrust out of the um the realm of even possibility like i mean think about how first grade boys and kindergarten boys are talked about mm -hmm. you know and they, they may be doing the same developmentally appropriate behaviors as everybody else but somehow they're angry they're mad they're a problem they're a threat mm -hmm. think about uh ann ferguson's book bad boys where she talks about yeah. you know even saying this boy or that boy is destined for prison early mm -hmm. on i mean this is the kind of stuff we have to deal with yeah so i say that to say you know, we gotta, good love is is about that stuff too. You know, mm -hmm. somebody said, you know, j justice is what love looks like in public, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able to get love at the structural level yeah. matters. Mm -hmm. Healthy choices. You know, part of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad talked about. He told Malcolm X that if you give people, if people, if people have only have dirty water to drink they will drink it if they're thirsty enough yeah he said but if you give people an option if you give people clean water they will take it yes every mm -hmm. time we have to build communities societies families institutions schools etc that give black boys access to healthy mm -hmm. choices yeah um we also have to teach people Yes. <laughs> right? What, what those healthy yeah. choices are. And that's part of good love, too. Yeah. Part of good love mm -hmm. is saying you deserve that fresh food over there. Yeah. You deserve therapy. You deserve a hug. You deserve to be told mm -hmm. I love you. Yeah. Right? Um, if people are given access to healthy choices, they will choose them. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to fall. We're going to fail. Yep. We're going to make mistakes. Everybody does. That's what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, but we have to have a threshold for that. Um, we have it for white girls. We have it for white boys. We have it, you know, mm -hmm. institutionally we have it, right? I mean, we get jail when white people get rehab. Mm -hmm. Second chances. Yeah. You know, in school, we need second chances. Right? We have a carceral mm -hmm. mindset. This is lock up, punish, 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 lock them up, lock them up, punish, punish, lock them up. Second chances. Yeah. And teaching the power of forgiveness, not just of each other, but of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's key. Second chances. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm So I know you, from what I'm hearing, I love what you said. Um, because as black men, we don't get those second chances. We don't think we deserve those second chances either. Um, in this space of just the world that we live in right now. 
because um, you can talk about cancel culture. You can talk about that a lot. And with cancel culture, you got a lot of black men not wanting to say certain things, not wanting to do certain things in front of certain people. Um, so that's just me responding to the space that you just talked about yeah. and just getting a better understanding of like, how can we get our black men, black boys, black women, black girls to understand that you're enough? You know, that's a great question, a great way to end this thing, man, because I, I, I think that's our job. I used to say it's mm-hmm. my job, but now you old now, so it's your job too. You know, it's <laughs> our job. Well, yeah. Instill this in the young people. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to create the spaces. We have to write the curriculum. We have to uh, create the culture right? Mm-hmm. that lets them know that the bodies they come in, the hair that grows out of their head, yeah, you know, the art, the music, the tradition that nurtures them, sustains them, and sustains their grandmamas. It was enough. Mm-hmm. Their faith was enough. Yeah, All that stuff was enough. The world normalizes the idea that white stuff is enough. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about it. Just It's enough. Yeah. But we have to be intentional about our stuff. It's, it's, it's really that, that simple. And before I let you go, um, I do have one more question. Yeah. Um, it's a signature question that I ask every brother that before we get on here. The main reason for this podcast is because I've seen tension between um, the younger generation and the older generation. As me being in the middle, mm-hmm. quote unquote, middle brother, I have to be the glue to say, I hear you, young brother, but you also have to listen and vice versa. Mm. Hey, hey, good brother, I hear you, but he's telling you something that you've that you've seen already. So you need to support him. So. Based on what you've seen or experienced, what's one thing black males can do to grow together? Uh, what's one thing? There's so many things. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to physically be together in each other's space. You know, I, I think between capitalism, between life, between policing, between all these things, it's easy for us to fit both physically and culturally, emotionally, socially, spatially be like separate. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when we're in each other's presence, when we're in each other's um, space, mm-hmm. we can see each other literally, but then we can also experience each other differently. We can love each other differently. We can be good to each other in a different way. Um, we can trust each other. We can feel safe around each other. These are the factors. These are the things that are necessary, I think, for us to, to, to grow together. Right, is to actually start building in community together. Okay. Well, brother, I want to thank you um, for joining. If you have anything you want to plug right now. Man, I don't even want to plug. I'm just so excited to be here with you and so excited to be talking about this stuff, man. But I do have a book. It's called Seen and Unseen, Technology, Social Media, and the Fight for Racial Justice. Uh, But more importantly, man, I just want people to listen to you, support your work, Mm -hmm. support what you're up to, um, and just keep building. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Um, I want you all to follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Urban Thinker Media. And also go to our website. We have a lot of things coming up soon at UrbanThinkerMedia.com. And we'll see you next time with another good brother here on the Middle Brother Podcast. Peace.